I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Thanks, Audrey, for reading for us. Let me uh, invite you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 34 as we're going to be referring to it. Oh, there we go. Uh, as, um, uh, as Kelly said, I'm Luke. I'm a member here at Trinity Tonsley. And if we haven't met uh, before, is there a better one of these? Sorry. I don't mean to be a complainer. But... All right, well, it is January 8th, which means you've had eight days to fail at your New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, we, had, we had growth group on Thursday, and one of, our, one of the guys in the group, we were chatting, and he was lamenting that he's already failed at his New Year's resolutions, and uh, we reminded him that it's a long year. You know, there's a lot ahead, but he's like, no, it's all, it's all done, right? And, uh, uh, and his name rhymes with reg, so... Uh, and he will no longer ever be sharing anything in growth group. So, all right. Well, New Year's resolutions, uh, we've already failed in, in them, but uh, resolutions are resolutions in pursuing the good life. We think about what we lack, what we want to change. We want to be happy. So what sort of things will make us happy? Maybe it's uh, getting in better shape, eating better, Maybe it's to read more, so to self-improve. Uh, maybe it's to have more friends, so you want to be more sociable. It seems that that pursuit of the good life, pursuit to be happy, is a very universal human experience. But then the question is, who do I listen to in order to achieve that good life? You know, we're bombarded in our world with messages of what will make you happy. This all becomes even more compounded 
because of life struggles. You know, we're coming out of this pandemic, or still in it, uh, depending on who you talk to, and it is struggles, affliction. So who do you listen to for the good life, and what will bring you happiness in a life of affliction, of struggle, when your energies run down, or maybe you have that dire health announcement from the doctor, when you're at odds with your classmates, friends, odds with your family. We come out of Christmas, which is always a joyous time to be with each other, and nobody ever has any family strife at the meal table, right? Well, this anxiety, the affliction, the fear, creates an an instability in us. It is unstable, and we desire to be stable, desire to be happy. So one one answer from our culture to be happy, the resolutions that you should have, is to become more autonomous. Be more in control of your own life. Rely more on yourself. I think that's the kind of theme of every Disney movie, right? You always had it in you the whole time. So you rely on your own strength. You rely on your own um, financial standing. Perhaps if you've grown up in the church, you rely on your own morality. You know, I'm I'm a good person. I'm very ethical. Uh, and that will make me happy. I'll rely on that. Uh, another message from our culture is to rely, to find happiness in another. You might re- uh, lean into your racial identity or country of origin. Americans never do this, do we, though, right? No. We find another stronger individual that we will place our hope. If I only have that person, I will be happy. The paradox of the gospel, the paradox of the Christian worldview is that, uh, and that by gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that true joy is not found in ourselves. It's also not found in another creature, but it is only found in hearing the word of the king, okay? That we must hear the words of Christ, and it is only through fearing the Lord, hearing his word, and trusting him that we will find true everlasting joy and happiness. Okay, so uh, in our psalm today, as Audrey read for us, Psalm 34, King David wants to encourage us today as we sit here that during our own afflictions, that, that we would not lean on our own resources, but find joy in his deliverance. Okay, so if you're following in the handout there, uh, point number one, the invitation from the king. So in verses one to three, so uh, our psalm actually begins actually with a, with a title, a superscription. So of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Okay? So this is one of these unique psalms that actually gives us this historical situation, the setting in which this psalm was written. Uh, if you recall from the book of Samuel, David has been anointed as a king. He's going to lead God's people. Uh, but he has a slight problem. There's another king named Saul who wants to kill him. Just a slight hiccup in this kind of plan that God has for him, right? Uh, so Saul is trying to kill him, and so David's on the run. He's on the run, and he actually runs. He flees. He's in exile for 12 years. And so in 1 Samuel 21, he, he flees for asylum to a, to a city in, uh, amongst the Philistines, you know, this kind of classic enemy of God's people. Uh, And this seems like a good situation for David. Okay, I'm away from Saul. Saul can't get me. 
But then all of a sudden, the Philistines realize, oh, we've got David. And Saul really wants David. So David's going to be an excellent hostage. So what does David do? Well, as the superscription tells us, he pretends to be insane. He pretends to be out of his mind, which is usually what every uh, youth does every time dad asks you to mow the garden. You're like, I just can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And so David is out, pretends to be out of his mind, and he's driven away. And David contributes him being driven away out of the hands of the enemies as God's deliverance for him. He trusts in God, and he's delivered. So this little story about David being delivered from God's enemies, he seeks to encourage everybody else. God has delivered me, and he encourages everyone to see in his own deliverance by God as a sign of deliverance available to everyone. That if God would deliver David from this, he will deliver anybody if you trust in him. Okay, so David doesn't contribute his escape to his own ingenuity. Actually, he knows that God's hand is behind it all. Okay, so David's situation then points to a larger reality, that we serve a God who saves, who delivers. Okay, so uh, in verses 1 to 2, we see David, as, as he's been delivered, he vows to praise the Lord. Okay, so if you look at verses 1 to 2 here, I will extol, extol the Lord at all times. His praise will, be, will always be on my lips. I will, glorify, I will glory in the Lord. I'll look at verse 3. Glorify the Lord with me. So David, it's an invitation. The king is inviting God's people to join in the praise of the Lord. Okay? It's a vow to praise. It's inviting to join in celebrating David's salvation. Okay? But his praise isn't just for his own benefit. Okay? It's for all God's people to join in the salvation of the king. But it is especially relevant for those who are feeling afflicted and downtrodden. So verse 2 there. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. The news of God's salvation is particularly important for those who are afflicted. Those who know they need help. And so David isn't a king who can't relate to you. We think about kings being, you know, uh, kind of uh, held behind the castle walls. They sit on their throne. They have everybody serving them. David's not that kind of king. David is a king on the run, okay? And there's typically not a, a greater fear in life than when your life is threatened, right? It doesn't get more serious than that. And so if you're afflicted today, know that King David knows what you feel. I mean, I just can't imagine being on, I can't imagine my life being really threatened, let alone for 12 years. I wonder what kind of sleep David had, what kind of anxiety he had, worry. But of course, it's little things like that. The anxiety that we feel in everyday life, the worry being compounded by our own sin, the sort of sin that you just want to move past, but you feel like you just keep moving in that direction again. And so David's salvation here, God's deliverance, is meant to be an encouragement of the deliverance that is available. That those who are afflicted can experience God's salvation. Okay? Now, 
just looking at this, you know, these uh, first few verses here, the difficulty of making much of somebody else, right? Doesn't always sit well with us. After all, David, who is the king, is saying, I will glory in the Lord. I will boast in him. That's actually a really difficult thing because it has to make much of somebody else and not of me. I don't know if you kind of do these little kind of uh, narrative reels of your life. I, I tend to be the center of it. You know, as I walk into the room, everybody looks at me. As I come home, the, you know, the kid's life revolves around me and my desire for peace. And so when, when you boast, you actually have to boast in somebody else. You're taking the spotlight off of you and placing it on the one who deserves it, which is the Lord. And so for us today, we, we rejoice in the deliverance of David. We rejoice in the deliverance of the king because his salvation is a sign of our own. God's care for his king is his care for us. Okay. And so in, in verses 4 to 14, we see that it, we see who, is, who are the ones who are delivered. Well, it is the humble. So after David has invited us to join alongside his praise, David draws upon his experience to show us how the afflicted might be delivered. Okay, those of you who are downtrodden, how might you find deliverance in God? Well, it is being humble rather than being proud. Okay, so we see uh, David's deliverance in verses 4 to 6. His own experience, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And in verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him he saved him out of all his troubles. Okay, so how is one delivered? Humbling themselves before the Lord. Now, David describes himself as a poor man. This isn't just an economic term, but it is one of kind of wholeness of life. He is poor before God. He has no resources to get out of this mess. He had to seek the Lord. Okay, so when you seek, when you seek help, it's because you need it, Right? It is a sign that there's something that you don't have, but you need, okay? The classic example is the guy on a trip who refuses to ask for directions, right? I will not ask for directions because it shows that I am in need and that I don't have all the answers, okay? Or, uh, as a youth, you might uh, have run out of money, and I must ask mom and dad for money because I've blown my money somewhere else. You ask for it because you need it. Okay? So humility, recognizing who you are in relationship to God, that you are poor, in need, with no resources to offer him, but you are one who is in need from him. You don't have something, but you need it. And what does God do? Well, he answers. How gracious and caring is this God? He doesn't lord it over David uh, like I might be tempted to do uh, if somebody needed something from me. No, he is a gracious God who gives freely. And so what does he do? He answers his prayer. God answers the prayers of those who need him, those who humble themselves, those who recognize their great need. And he has delivered David from all his fears, out of all his troubles. What an experience to be delivered from your fears. What did David fear? Well, he, he feared for his life, that everything he had would be taken from him. 
So it's a good question. What do I fear? What is the greatest thing that could be taken away from me? Is it my independence, living independently? Uh, is it my bank account? What sort of security? Is it my children? Is it a parent? Is it a partner? Or the lack of, of never getting a partner? David was delivered from all his fears. How, do you fi- how, how are you delivered from all your fears? You don't find deliverance in yourself, in your own education or the friendships, because all these things are insecure. Money can be taken. Partners can die. Education can, pr- can be proved to be inadequate. No, the only way to be delivered from all your fears, as David experiences, is to wrap yourself in the identity of God. He is the only secure one. It is only then when you place all of who you are, your whole identity in the Savior, the Creator, that nothing can be taken from you because it is all God's gift. So God has rescued David. He has delivered him from his fears. And because of David's experience of being delivered, then he extends the invitation of deliverance to us. So David's own experience of salvation, his need, is then he invites all of us who are afflicted to come. He says, are you afflicted? David says, so was I. And now the king who was afflicted, who has been delivered, offers the message of deliverance. And I love the way he invites us to come. Uh, Anybody like cooking? Yeah, one. Okay. Anybody like eating? Yes, okay, all right, there we go. All right, he uses this example from cooking. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. I remember uh, living in uh, the UK for a while. You know, we um, loved hiking, walking along the hills, and you'd go walking uh, for hours and hours and hours. Maybe not the last hour, maybe just a couple hours. Um, But you walk forever. And then what I love is because these trails would lead back down to these little Scottish villages and there'd be a country pub and there'd be a lamb shank at the other end. You know, I feel like Matt Lehman, you know, kind of uh, praising the virtues of lamb. But that long day hike as you desire for a good meal. You come, it's like wandering, wandering around looking for that great experience of food, of sustenance. And David is saying that you can come, God's goodness is like that. When you are hungry, you can come and you can experience the goodness of God. You might be reluctant to try it at times or most of your life as you wander away from the Lord, but David is offering come and experience the goodness. There's blessedness, as verse 8 Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. That, that idea of blessedness is happiness, joy. There is blessedness or happiness when you take refuge in the Lord, when, you, when he is your security and you don't find your security in anything else. Okay? Why is there happiness? Why is there true joy in God? Well, because he's the only one who can deliver you. He is the only one who can't be shaken. There is happiness when you realize that you, me, that I'm at the end of my own resources, but then I trust in the infinite resources of the Creator. Okay? There is such comfort. It's like, you know, when a child is scared, 
uh, because they're lost in the store and they find their parent because that parent has all the resources they need for comfort. So there's an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we see that God's deliverance then is transformative. It transform, it's transformative joy. So David's experience of he humbles himself, he reaches out to God, God answers. And the result, look at verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. I love that word. It's a word that I feel like we know, like we know the word radiant, but you nev- I, I can only think of one context in which we use the word radiant where we would describe somebody as radiant. Anybody? Sorry? That's right, a wedding. That's right. The bride looked radiant. Notice they never talk about the dude that way. <laughs> Dudes are just smelly with suits on, right? But the bride is radiant. She's transformed on that day. They sh- she shines. And everybody stands up and they look at her and they behold her. That is the only security, right? That God is transforming, and those who trust in him are like that bride on that day. They are radiant. Because the only security they have, because they know, is in God. And as verse 7 says, we can trust in that because the angel of the Lord encamps around them. There's divine protection. So David says, the result of trusting in the Lord is radiance and divine protection. And verses 9 to 14, this God, he meets every need. He says, the way this transformative joy is found is in fearing the Lord. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Just like Psalm 23, being led through the valley of shadow of death, God is with you. Everything you need, or the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God is sufficient for everything. Fearing the Lord. Probably the best uh, definition of fearing the Lord comes from Proverbs 3, verse 7, which says, don't trust in your own wisdom, but rely on the Lord. What does it, so what does it look like to fear the Lord? Well, to not trust your own resources. Don't trust, don't rely on them as your only deliverance. Likewise, don't trust in the resources of another creature, another person. They will not deliver you from your affliction. Rather, turn from evil and do good, as verses 12 and 13 say. Seek and pursue peace. Fear the Lord. It changes how we live. We recognize who we truly are in relationship to our Lord. Well, this idea of being delivered from all your troubles, all your fears, might, for some of us, uh, might sound a bit naive. After all, when we're in affliction, we, we struggle with that, right? It might sound too good to be true. So how do we trust God in that affliction? Well, our psalm ends that way in verses 15 to 22. David finished the psalm by defending why we can trust in this Lord. And he does this by reminding us that God, God cares for the righteous, but he will also condemn those who oppose him. Okay, so just a few little observations from this section in verses 15 to 22. First, I want you to notice God's attentiveness to those who are righteous, to those who humble themselves before the Lord. He is attentive. So verse 15, 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. God sees and he hears. In this, in this context here, the idea of being righteous is, are those who have humbled themselves, those who fear the Lord, who trust in Him. It is great comfort to know that God cares and He is attentive. So in the affliction, for those who are downtrodden, God is attentive. He listens. He hears. In verse 18, I just love this verse. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you feel brokenhearted, if you feel crushed, God is attentive. He sees and he hears. I love that, message, that little line from Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will, bring you re- I will give you rest. There's an an invitation when you are downtrodden to come. So God is attentive and he delivers. So verse 17 17 and 19, God is attentive and he delivers. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them. He delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 19, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I think these are really helpful counterbalances because we might think, oh man, the Christian life's going to be great. I'm not going to have to worry about anything. No, actually, this verse actually assumes you're going to have a lot of trouble. It shows that being delivered from every fear, every affliction is progressive. It's something that the Christian life is marked by. We are being transformed and made radiant through the affliction, through the troubles. We're learning day by day, to place all of our identity, all of our fears on the Lord because He is our rock. And the last little observation is through the troubles, through the deliverances, that there will come a final end. Okay? So we see this in verse 16, that there's going to be condemnation for those who oppose God. So just as He is attentive to those who are humble and righteous, He is also going to be attentive in judgment. Verse 16, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. Or verse 21, evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. So at some point in the future, there will be an end to this. And this is actually great comfort for those who are righteous and humble, that God will finally put an end to the greatest opponent that he has, Satan sin and death. It will be done away with. There will be an end. Okay? But verse 22 ends our psalm with great comfort. The righteous will not be condemned. So in the midst of this judgment that's coming as we, as we said in the Nicene Creed, there is also um, honor for those who are righteous. The righteous will not be condemned. So this promise, the benefits of this psalm, the deliverance of the Lord, of tasting and seeing God's goodness, the promise of happiness and of joy, of refuge, it's because of the work of God. Because we recognize that we have no resources and that God has them all. 
How are we not condemned? Well, it's because of the work of the Lord Jesus himself. So David doesn't understand this at this point. Why is condemnation being removed from us? Well, it's because of the work of Christ, who is the preeminent king who was afflicted and delivered. He was delivered from death to life. And because of that, he has secured our own salvation. He has taken our own sin, our own condemnation, placed it upon himself, and has been vindicated from it. Okay. So, going back to the beginning of this psalm, we've been invited as the afflicted to join in the king's vow to praise because of his deliverance. That we turn to God, we praise because of his deliverance. And so we praise because the king has been delivered. The king has been delivered from death to life. And because of his deliverance, all of those who are afflicted can find their deliverance in him. Because the Lord Jesus has been afflicted, died, and resurrected, we likewise can find our deliverance in him. And the great pattern of the Christian life is because we've been delivered, we likewise, we now can turn to one another in our own deliverance and say to each other, join me. Join me. I've been delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in praising him at all times. Join me in glorying the Lord, boasting in him, not in what I have done, but in what he has done and is continuing to do. So let's pray. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, and then as we, as we uh, continue to worship, let us have that attitude. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we do thank you that you are the king who has been delivered from death to life, and it is because of your work we can find true joy and true happiness uh, even in the midst of our affliction. We praise you that you provide all that we need and that you will deliver us from every uh, trouble, most notably death, by bringing us life. And so, God, as we, as we continue to worship, we pray that you would give us a spirit that would desire to, to look toward, toward one another and to join each other in praising you because of your great deliverance. And so it's in Christ's great name we pray. Amen.